Well, this is the most challenging, most difficult worship service that any pastor can ever lead. Mother's Day. Now, you might think that for all of us, it is a time of great joy and celebration. As I was praying earlier, I, had a, I was greatly privileged to have a nice, godly Christian mom that raised me and grew up in a wonderful Christian environment. And I'm very thankful for that. But not everybody has had that experience. And so on Mother's Day, I'm always very mindful of the fact that you have all had your own set of life circumstances. For instance, there are some that are here this morning that have had children that have died that are with the Lord. There are mothers that have had miscarriages. And you never got to hold that little one in your arms. There are those that are sitting here whose moms has gone on and be, been, they're now with the Lord. Or they're out in an eternity. And today you've missed them greatly. Uh, there are moms that unfortunately have walked out on their families. And some of you may have been abandoned by a mom. Some have been abused by their moms. I have dealt with men, grown men in church that are broken because they were brought up in a home of abuse where they were abused by their mother. And some have walked through that. There's a wide variety of backgrounds and circumstances that we have all been through when it comes to moms. Some of you moms have your children that uh, are not living as you wish they would be living. They're living wayward lives, running from God. And you're hurting for them today, longing for them to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Some of us, have had the experience of having children with disabilities, born differently with different challenges than, than other moms and dads. And motherhood has been a very challenging time for you and I. So we're all here. Our hearts all feeling different things. Our minds having different memories that evoke different emotions. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you say just a quick prayer within yourself that God would give you the ability just to listen to Him this morning? I know from yesterday, last night, and this morning, you've got all these things going on. But the most important thing for you to do today is to hear from the Lord. It's only He that can bring healing to whatever is going on in your life. It is He that is the answer to every need that you have. It is He that is the only answer for whatever is happening in your child's life that I know that you love dearly. So just ask the Lord quickly. Lord, help me to block everything else out and just listen to you today. And then I'm going to try to help you because I'm going to bring a message that is probably going to be different than anyone that you ever thought that you would hear on Mother's Day, and it's going to cause you to think. Uh, so that kind of blocks out all that other stuff, and you're just going to sit there saying, why in the world is Brother Tim preaching on this today? I'm glad you asked. Today I'm going to be preaching on the greatest example of a woman of faith in the entire Word of God. The greatest example of a woman, a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, 
greatest woman of faith recorded in the entire Word of God, and I know that because the Bible tells us so. Just real quickly, think, who am I talking about? What woman in the Word of God? Greatest example of faith. Think you know? Turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for about 40 years. 38 to 40 years they've been wandering in the wilderness. They're there because of their disobedience. Rather than taking the land the first time that they got there, they chose to ignore God's commands to go take the land They chose to go their own way rather than God's way. So God says, okay, none of you that were part of making that decision will ever enter the land. You will uh, leave your bleach bones there in the wilderness. And now, uh, even Moses has been disobedient to God and is not allowed to go into the land. And command of the children of Israel has been handed over to Joshua. One of the two spies, by the way, back 40 years ago, when they went in and spied out the land, uh, believed that the children of Israel should obey God, trust God, and take the land the way God said to. Joshua is now leading the children of Israel. He has decided to send two spies into the land once again to check out and see what the lay of the land is. Now we pick up in Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men. Why two? The first time when Moses sent them out, he sent out twelve. Well, that seemed to be a mistake. Because ten of them came back and said, Hey guys, there's no way we can take the land. There are giants in the land. We appear as grasshoppers before them, and they saw themselves as grasshoppers before them. Yes, indeed, he said, the ten said. It is a, a, a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God says, but we will be crushed if we try to take that land. The two, Joshua and Caleb, said, oh, I saw the same thing these guys did. It doesn't matter how big the enemies are. It doesn't matter what kind of weaponry they have. It doesn't matter what kind of walls around the city they have. God said, it's ours. Let's take it. But fear is contagious. Doubt and discouragement is contagious. And the entire nation of Israel were persuaded by the ten Negative, doubtful, discouraging spies. Joshua has learned his lesson. We're not going to send out 12 like we did the first time. There were two that came back that trusted the Lord, so we're going to send two back. So he sent two men from the Acacia Grove. Now, while we were in Israel, uh, we, we went to the very place where the children of Israel were at this time. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. And to this day, there's an acacia grove, which is the last thing you come to before you come to the Jordan River. The acacia grove represents the last place of bondage before the children of Israel crossed into the Promised Land. Now, by the way, while we're there, what does the a promised land represent for us. On this side of the cross, what does the land of Canaan, uh, the city of Jericho, what does it represent for us? The, the promised land represents what? Okay, yeah, not heaven. It represents the Christian life. The Christian life is the land of promise. So, they're there at the Acacia Grove, the last stop before they cro- were having to cross the Jordan, to come in over on the other side of the Jordan 
And the first big city you come to on the other side of the Jordan is Jericho. In fact, I have a little statue in my office that we purchased in Jericho. Now, Jericho right now is under the authority of the Palestinians. So whenever we crossed over into Jericho, we had to go through the Palestinian checkpoint and all that, and had to, some on the bus had to answer questions as to why we were there and uh, what we were going to be doing there. All right, so this is where they are, same spot. Joshua the son of Nun sent two men from the Acacia Grove, despised secretly, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to an unusual place. If they're going to go spy out the land, where do you think they want to go? Let's check out the house of the governor there, the, the king, the leader. Let's check out the military fortresses. Let's check it out. No, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Guess where they go? And they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. So the spies stayed at the house of a harlot. Now, I hope I don't have to go into great detail to explain what that word means. Uh, it was a woman of ill repute. It was a woman of the night. She was a prostitute. Now, there are those who study Hebrew that take the word for harlot there, and they try to make it sound like she's something else, like she's the innkeeper or she's a businesswoman, this, that, or the other stuff. And I have no doubt she is an innkeeper. But, you know, you only stay there a couple hours at a time. <laughs> yeah, she's an she, she knows she's ready because they're coming and they're lodging in her house. But she's also a harlot. The word there that she used for harlot, when you come over to the New Testament, they talk about Rahab, is a form of the word porneo, which is where we get the word pornography, which is always a prostitute, a woman of sexual sin. So they come to the household of a harlot named Rahab and lodge there. Now, what we're going to find out is her inn, her house of ill repute, is there built into the wall around Jericho. The wall around Jericho, you can still see the remains of that wall, the foundation of the wall. The wall was about 30 foot high. It had an inner wall and an outer wall. Okay, Inner wall, outer wall. The, the inner wall was about 15 feet thick. The outer wall was about 6 feet thick. In between the two walls, you had an opening that they would pour rubbish into, all kind of stuff, and then built into the, the space between the two walls, they would have cross sections with the, where they would have supply rooms, um, they would have some houses, or little apartments, and the apartments had a, always had a window on the outer wall because whoever lived there were also serving as lookouts. They could look out their windows and see what's on the other side to see if there's any trouble coming. Now, it was a common thing for the prostitutes, the, the harlots, to have their homes in that space between the walls where there was a window that could look out because some of their most frequent customers were the military guys, were the soldiers. Some things never change. But they're there. And, and so while the soldiers are there, they're also looking out the window to see what's going on. And also, uh, they, I guess they didn't have any sailors, but they might have because they were right there on the Jordan River. They might have had. But they were also known to uh, tell tales and stories. And you caught up on the local gossip as to what was going on. And while the men were there with their, their prostitutes, they're having pillow talk. And the soldiers are always bragging about this, bragging about that, and all that. So the prostitutes were the ones that knew everything that was going on in town. So there was a reason why they were stationed there on the wall. So uh, they came and they, they lodged with Rahab the harlot. Now, we also know something else about Rahab, and so let me just go ahead and assert this, and that is, 
she's going to end up hiding these two spies. Because the king, from verses chapter 3 through uh, verses 8, the king somehow hears that there are two foreigners in town. We don't know how the king knew this. It could be someone reported it to the king because they heard someone with strange accents who spoke different languages or just looked different. But he hears there's two guys in town that shouldn't be in town. And so he's trying to find these two men to figure out where they're from. And so he sends men to get, you know, kind of try to find them. And uh, they come to Rahab's house uh, looking for them. Uh, uh, but Rahab has taken the two, two men and she's hidden them on her rooftop. So she's up toward the top of the wall. So she, she hid them up there. And it says she hides them under stalks of flax. Well, that tells us that Rahab and her family, because her family's going to be mentioned in a little while, were into agriculture. They were farmers. They grew flax. Now, flax are, 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 are the, were, had these long stalks. They uh, would cut them to where they were usually three or four foot long stalks. They had little blue flowers on them. And what they would do is they would take those stalks of flax, they would uh, immerse them into water, let them soak into water, pull them out, stand them up, and then they would strip the fibers of the flax. And then from the fibers of the flax, they would weave them together to make linen. Linen, that's where linen comes from. So they wove them together to make linen cloth and to make very strong Rope. Linen fabric and rope. And she hid them on the roof so the soldiers couldn't find them under the stalks of flax. So that gives us more insight into Rahab. Now she's having a conversation with these two men. She has sent the soldiers out. They asked them, have you seen these men? Well, said so they were here, but as soon as it got dark, they, they went out. And they said, what direction did they go? And Rahab said, I think you need to go that way. Now the thing is, when they leave, they're going to go that way. So Rahab sends them in the opposite direction. She's looking out for these spies. Why in the world would this Canaanite harlot want to protect these two men from Israel who are camped out on the other side of the Jordan? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, if it's found out she's hidden these spies, they'd kill her. She could lose her life. She is really taking a chance. Why did she do this? Good question. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord... Now notice, I know, not I think... Not I hope so. I know with absolute certainty that the Lord, now notice in your Bibles, is even up on the screen, is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means who is that referring to? Yahweh. That is used for Yahweh, the personal name of God. A name that even the Israelites would not speak. Yahweh. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How'd she know that? 38 years ago they were there. They didn't think, the children of Israel didn't think the God had given them the land. They followed the ten spies. Here this Canaanite prostitute says, I know that the Lord has given you, the Israelites, the land, how you know, and that uh, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She says, "Everybody in Jericho is scared of you guys. We are faint-hearted." Thirty-eight years ago, who was scared and faint-hearted? Children of Israel, what they didn't know, the people in Jericho were terrified of them. The land was ripe for the picking. 
but they wouldn't trust God. Here she says, we're all scared of you guys. Why? For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utter. That was 38 years ago. So when we heard how God dried up the Red Sea, we were we've been terrified of you guys thinking about you coming into the land. See how God had already prepared them to take the land? They just wouldn't obey. Listen, there are things in God's Word that God's told us we ought to do. And we come up with something in our mind, some excuse, some reason for why we can't be obedient. When He says, go make disciples of all the nations, and we're scared. I don't know what to say. I don't know how they're going to treat me. They, they might reject if you've been praying, He's already prepared the hearts for those people before you ever got there. It's the Lord who prepares the hearts. He says, we heard about what the Lord... Now notice, she knows how the Lord dried up the water. Even today, there are people that try to come up with scientific, meteorological reasons why the Red Sea dried up. Even this prostitute from Canaan, a Gentile lady, knew who, who was the one who did it. The Lord. We keep trying to come up with our scientific explanations for why, how the world got here and why this happens, why that happens, why, why climate change. and this, It's the Lord. It's all in His hands. And as soon as we heard these things, as soon as they heard about what the Lord had done, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Every person, every soldier, and even the king were terrified of the Lord God and His children, the children of Israel. For the Lord your God. Now notice, He's the Lord Yahweh, your God, He is God. That's a statement of faith. Now really what she's saying is, is she is in heaven above and on earth beneath. You know what she's actually saying? The Lord your God is my God. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of earth. He's the Lord of all. He's the God of all. Now this is a Canaanite, Gentile, harlot, farmer. The children of Israel, now remember, the children of Israel were the ones who saw the Red Sea part. They're the ones who walked through the parted water on dry ground with the walls of water on either side of them, and they're the ones who saw the, the walls of water come down and drown their enemies. They lived it. They saw it. Yet they didn't believe. This woman didn't see. She had only heard. Just heard and believed. How do we come to God? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. That's the only way any of us ever got saved. Hear the message of the Gospel. Hear the Word of God. God grants faith to believe. In grace, we repent, believe, surrender. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There, now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, Yahweh, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness. Now notice, she's not just concerned about her. 
Show kindness to my father's house. She's concerned about her family. And give me a true token. Hey, whenever you get saved, who's the first people you want to see get saved? Your family. When you come to know the Lord God, who do you want to know the Lord God? Your family. When you know you're going to heaven, who do you want to see when you get to heaven? Your family. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have, and deliver our lives from death. Deliver our lives from death. Now coincidentally, the wages of sin is death. And we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so we're all under the curse and the penalty of death. She says, deliver me, my family, from death. Well, they make this agreement. She's, notice verse 15. And so they make they say, yep, we'll, we'll, we'll make this agreement. And what she's going to do is she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. Remember, that's what I just explained a minute ago. And she said to them, get to the mountain, because lest your pursuers meet. In other words, the pursuers are going the other way, so you go to the mountains. And hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go the, your way. So the men said, and notice they had to wait three days. That seems so coincidental a little bit. Somebody, you, you wait three days and then you go. Go, 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 go. All right, there's a, there's a story there. Afterwards, you may go your way. Some of you get it, some of you don't. If you don't get it, come talk to me. I'll explain it all to you, okay? So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us to swear. In other words, We'll do exactly what we've said we will do. Unless when we come into the land, he said, when we come back, they're coming to take it over. When we come into the land, you bind this line of, notice, scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. She's going to let them down by a scarlet cord. And they're saying, whenever we come back in to take over the land, you take this same scarlet rope. Okay? Through which you let us down. And, unless, and notice, and unless you bring your father and mother and brothers and all your father's house into your home, notice, don't just stay here by yourself. You're concerned about your family. Bring them all to your house. And so it shall be whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on. How do they make the connection between blood and judgment? How do they make the connection about, you know, if someone goes out of the house and he gets killed, hey, his blood's not on our hands. But if someone stays in here where the cord of scarlet hangs out the window, it, it, because of that cord of scarlet, if anything happens to anybody in this house, then it's on us. Where do they make, how do they make that connection? The Passover. Remember the night before they left Egypt? They were to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and over the top of the door so that when God comes in judgment, when He sees the red blood, the scarlet blood, his judgment would pass over the household. Well, she's this Gentile prostitute. She don't have a lamb. So it says, you've got the cord here. You let us down by this long... Now, how did she happen to have a long scarlet rope in her house? Because that's what she made with the flax. She made linen and she made rope out of the flax. Now, by the way, 
They're on the other, when the children of Israel are on the other side of the Jordan, at the Acacia Grove there, why did they have to go? Why did Joshua have to send two spies into Jericho? Why do you have to send them in there? I mean, God said take the land. Why does he need the spies? Ties back in. There's another woman of ill repute in the New Testament who lived in Samaria. She had had five husbands. And Jesus is talking with his disciples one day, and he says, I must go through Samaria. Lord, we don't go that way. We don't go through Samaria. Samaria is Gentile territory. We hate the Samaritans. We don't go. I must go through Samaria. Why do you have to go through Samaria? Because there was a woman, not a very good woman, a woman who had been rejected in her life five times by men that she had loved, that he had to go share living water with. Woman saved. Why did the two why did he have to send two spies? Why did Joshua have to send two spies in Jericho? Gentile territory. Why did he have to send them in? Because there was a woman in a house on the wall who was a woman of faith. who needed to be spared from the judgment of God. They both stories connect, along with a few others about women in the Bible. That's why. You mean God would go to all that trouble to save someone that's a prostitute? It's better than that, folks. His grace is greater than that. His grace was so great that I can't tell you the steps He took to save someone like me. For I was a sinner. My sin might not have been the same as Rahab's, but I sinned just the same. And there's people all through this room right now that God loved you so much, He sent somebody to you. It may have been a mama or a daddy, maybe a preacher, a friend, a teacher. He sent someone just to you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and opened your heart to believe, receive, and surrender. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Hey, listen, <laughs> you've probably read some, but there's a scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus Christ that runs through the whole Word of God. This is part of that. This is a foreshadowing of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could have been any color cord. Couldn't it? Could have been blue cord. Could have been green cord. Could have been gray cord. It's a scarlet cord. Now the city shall be doomed by the Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. Joshua is talking to the children of Israel. They're getting ready to go into the land. Take it over. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in. Now God's got his own way, he's going to do it, which is that's a whole nother sermon. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. In other words, she believed and she acted on her belief. Because James says, faith without works is dead. She believed, and because she believed, because she had faith in the Lord God, she put her own life at risk. Where she's caught, she's going to be executed. Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must 
deny himself, die to self, take up the cross daily. That's exactly what Rahab did. She died to self. She could be put to death to step out in faith and to save these two men who were messengers from the Lord God. She believed and she acted. She put feet to her faith. Question. You say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How does your life and your actions, your heart, how you speak, how you live, how does it demonstrate that that faith is genuine? The faith is genuine to the point of costing you everything in your life. That's faith. You say, Brother Tim, hang on. Now, I'm with you. Rahab's a, a you know, great woman of faith. But you say she's the greatest woman of faith in the whole Bible. How could this, this harlot be the greatest woman? I mean, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. There's, there's uh, uh, Mary, the, Mary and Martin. You've got Mary, you know, the sister of Lazarus. You've got, hey, you've got Moses' mama. I mean, you've got a lot of great women of faith there in that Bible. How in the world do you say this prostitute named Rahab is the greatest woman of faith? That's a legitimate question. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 11. We come to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 is God's hall of faith. Hall of fame of faith. Okay, He lists the greatest people of faith and what they did, what God did in them and through them, be, through their faith, because of their faith. There are two women named. One of them is Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, But Sarah has some issues. Remember Hagar? All right? The only other woman mentioned in that hall of faith, verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the harlot Rahab. Now, he's not mixing some words here. He said, I want you to tell you who she was. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So you want to talk about faith? There are two women I'll mention. Sarah. Only, he only mentioned the Hall of Eight, only two women. Sarah. Yeah, but Sarah had some issues. We don't see anywhere in there where it points out any sinful issues in Rahab except who she was before the Lord. Once she placed her faith in the Lord, we don't see anything bad happening negative out of her. But not only that, she's mentioned another time in the Word of God in the New Testament. James, who happens to be the half-brother of Jesus, saved after the resurrection of Jesus, writes in his little epistle. Now, in his little epistle, it, all James writes about is practical Christianity. Because you're saved, this is what you do. This is the, how you live a life of faith. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And the Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, for he's called the friend of God. You see then that a man justified by works is not justified by faith only. The greatest, the father of faith is who? Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham, he was justified by faith that worked, was obedient. He did what God said. God says, offer your son on the altar. He offered him on the altar, willing to do that. God spared his son. He spared his son because he knew he was going to crucify his own son. Jesus. So, the first part there is you're justified by a faith that works. How do you know your faith comes from God and not just something you conjured up? 
Is your life transformed by it? Not just saying I trust, I believe, but are, have you, has that faith by God's grace transformed who you are, made you a new creation, so you live differently now. You live in obedience. Likewise, Abraham's the father of faith. Who's the mother of faith? Who's the woman of faith in the Bible? Likewise was not Rahab. The very next thing, you've got to keep Scripture in context. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot, also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Hebrews chapter 11, great hall of faith. He says, Abraham is the greatest example of faith. Who's the greatest woman of faith? Rahab the harlot. I bet you didn't think you'd be hearing about a prostitute in your Mother's Day message this morning, did you? <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I told Fritz the other day what I was going to be preaching about. And he said, Tim, here's what you need to do. You need to go online, make out a little advertisement for your sermon, and, and say, this Sunday morning I'll be preaching on an X-rated mother. And he put, said you can put subtitle, One Hot Mama. All right, that's, <laughs> I don't want to do that, Fritz. All right. He's medicated. Okay, all right. Now, that's all right. now so, so we see her in the Hall of Faith in the New Testament. We see her in James as the example of what it means to be a woman of faith. It doesn't end there. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is the lineage and the line of Jesus. It's the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 and following. Chapter 1 verse 5 and following. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Matthew does something really unusual. He names some women in his genealogy. You didn't normally do that. In a Jewish genealogy, you didn't see women. Just the men. Matthew includes some women. Guess when the women, woman he set names. Begat Boaz by Rahab. Y'all remember Boaz? Now, now, by the way, who is Salmon? Well, we don't really know, but there is Jewish tradition that says he's one of the two spies. Jewish tradition says he's one of the two spies. Don't know, but that, that is Jewish tradition. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Do you remember the story of Ruth? Ruth is a Moabite. The Moabites were not allowed in the temple. Why weren't they allowed in the temple? They came from a line of Lot. His two daughters when they're kind of hiding in the mountains with Lot, their daddy, or wanting to have babies, so they said, there's no other men around. We've got to have our babies by daddy. They get him drunk. They have an incestuous relationship. Two sons are born. One of them is Moab, from which come the Moabites, born of incest, and God declared that they are to be outcasts. From throughout their generations. That was Ruth. Now remember, it started out with who? Simon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. So you got Rahab the harlot. Then her son marries a woman who's a Moabitess, born of incestuous relationship, sexual immorality. Let's keep reading. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse. Why is Jesse significant? Because Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon, the builder of the temple. David 
and Solomon considered the two greatest kings in the history of Israel. By David begot David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. What was her name? Bathsheba, who committed sexual immorality, sinful relationship, adultery with King David. Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Let's use just a little bit of sanctified imagination, okay? This is not Bible. This is just Timology, okay? But you got to remember, these are real people. Can you imagine what it's like around the, the king's palace when the servants are talking and people come to visit and they're talking about whenever Bathsheba enters the room. Now, we're not going to say anything about the king, but we're going to talk about her. Talk about the king, you know, that's not the bad juju. Don't do that. <laughs> but we will talk about the wife. And the rumors that get started. The gossip that gets going around. They start talking about Bathsheba. David hears about it. Goes up and says, Here, you've been talking smack about my wife. Well, let me tell you something. You think you got something to talk about with her? Let me tell you about my grandmother. She's a Moabite. You know where that come from? Saying that's bad? Let me tell you about my great-grandmother. She used to live on the wall in Jericho. You know what she did? She's a prostitute, man. Named Rahab. You know, talk about my wife? Let me tell you the rest of my family. You think all that's bad? Hey, remember what I did. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you what God did with my great-grandmother. Let me tell you what God did with my grandmother. Let me tell you what God has done with my wife and me. Here's what I want you to understand. There's a reason I preach on this greatest woman of faith. Because she's the greatest example I know of in the Bible. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of sin you've committed. Your background could be filled with sexual immorality. Your background could be filled with drugs and alcohol. Your background could be filled with fighting and fussing. You might have lived in the most difficult of circumstances, or you might have been the one who caused difficult circumstances for others. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, there is a scarlet cord that represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that provides a way of escape for you from whatever your sin is that provides a path to fullness of freedom where you can be set free from your sin. By placing your faith in the blood, the sinless blood that Jesus Christ shed on your behalf on Calvary's cross. Because on that cross, He took all of your sin into His own body. A sinless body, a holy body, a righteous body. He took all of your sin into Himself. Paid the debt that you owe to holy God in full. So if you will do just what Rahab did, it says she believed. She believed in the Lord God that He would be her God. Not just the God of the world. Her God. Placed her faith personally in Him. God forgave her. Protected her from His wrath and His judgment. He came on that whole city on everyone except in her house. 
God's wrath and judgment is coming on this world. It's coming. And the only ones that will be protected from His wrath are those who have been cleansed by His scarlet blood. Place your faith in the fact that whenever He shed His sinless blood, His sinless blood will cleanse you from all sin. Remember Rahab? She was a prostitute. The great-grandmother of the king. She went from being a prostitute to being a princess. Isn't that neat? All because of God and His grace. All because of God and His grace. And folks, that's the only way any of us are going to get to heaven. Same way. It's the only way any of us will ever have our sin forgiven. It's the only way we'll ever become, be able to come into the presence of a holy God to actually be adopted by God, to be made one of His children. If God can save a Rahab, and if God can save a Ruth, and God can save a Bathsheba, God can save a Mary Magdalene, God can save a Samaritan woman at a well, He can save you. If He can save a Boaz, if He can save someone like a David, If he can save somebody like Peter, James, and John, and he can save someone like a Tim, he can save you. But please understand this. There's no other way except through Jesus. Believing in Him. Trusting in Him. The good news is today, if the Holy Spirit of God, if you sense something in your spirit saying, you need to place your faith in Christ, you need to repent of your sin, you need to surrender your life to Him, if you'll do that right now, He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you a brand new creation. It no longer matters one iota what you've been. It's who you are now in Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that's going to matter throughout all of eternity. Today, it can all change.